last well, beginning of the year in January, we had uh, a very strong webinar together, Understanding the Times. We sketched out some of the uh, movements that are taking place, philosophical and cultural movements, activist movements along a particular ideology, a particular philosophy uh, of, of uh, critical theory and wokeism. And uh, during that time, we looked at some of the sectors that we represent in the Giants Ministry. We began to pull together some of the action points and where do we go from here and how do we, how do we proceed? So we thought rather than try to pull the whole church together with, within their respective Giants, we would do a bit of work together today. So this is the focus is on working. In a moment, Ron will be outlining the format for today and the objectives. But I, I wanted just to set the scene um, uh, to begin with. Uh, I, I wonder if you recall the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, when Jeremiah is prophesying uh, for the exiles who are going to go and be taken into exile. And some prophets are saying, don't worry, it's not going to last long. Uh, you, you, you'll be back soon. And this is what God said through Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, this is Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord for its on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and your diviners remind you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I do not send them, says the Lord. And it, then, it goes on to talk about a 70-year period. Now, there are many obvious parallels. And if you, in your mind, at least turn quickly to the book of Daniel, and we'll see how this was exemplified. Um, there are a lot of parallels. We are living in a cultural Babylon. We're not the majority. Um, we are in the kingdom of God, and God's kingdom is reigning supreme and will finally manifest over all the forces all the structures, all the institutions, all the ideologies, and all the kingdoms of the world. So having our mind set on the kingdom of God, and knowing that our, our job is to reflect that kingdom in our lives, demonstrate it, but also its truth as well as its way of doing things, because the kingdom way is the best way for us individually, individuals, for our families, and for society. But we are not in power. It's not as if we are uh, the dominant um, political force in the nation, and I'm not even so sure that we're supposed to be, but we have to uh, express God's kingdom through our lives and our churches, our communities, our cell groups, and influence our structures and influence our sectors for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom. Now, just, just a few thoughts. We are in a battle. Now, we, we, we need to appreciate that. I don't think anybody would doubt it. There is a struggle that is going on 
ultimately it's a struggle between the forces of darkness and the kingdom of God. And we know who is going to win. We know who has already won. Jesus Christ has triumphed over all of these things. And the, the struggle, let's, let's describe it as a battle, but we want to be careful today in, the, in our use of language because excessive confrontational battle warfare type, type uh, language isn't going to play out very helpfully in our attitudes and how we come across to people. But I'm sure you will um, appreciate that nevertheless, we're in a battle. I think there is a big battle. Uh, the biggest battle is of course, the powers of darkness um, headed up by the kingdom of Satan and, and so on. But if we, if we come a little down to earth, the way that this battle is played out is first of all, I would say principally and primarily, there's more to say on it, but principally and primarily through thought. It's the battle for the mind. Um, it's 2 Corinthians 10 speaks about spiritual warfare in terms of uh, the battle for the mind, strongholds of the mind. And um, we need to do that hard work, strong work, and produce material thinking, conclusions, and presentations that address the big philosophical and ideo ideological battles. Um, chiefly, I think practically that is about uh, understanding the biblical narrative and telling the big the big story. Uh, this week, I lost a very good friend of mine, uh, uh, Larry Crabb, who I've known for over thirty years, um, and was quite an amazing person. And uh, he he was always calling us to think about the bigger story, the better story, the, the, the Christian story, the story of the Bible. Not only is it dramatic and romantic and victorious, it captures the imagination and God is constantly winning us over by reminding us of the part that we play in his bigger story. How wonderful it would be if we could reflect that positively out in wider society. But there are also many little battles um, these are the little battles that we face every day as we uh, conf are confronted by them or face them in our day-to-day -day lives. Um, and I'm thinking especially out there in the giants that are represented, the sectors of society, the major influence, places of influence, which we're familiar with if you are a part of the giants ministry. So in a big battle, now, in any battle, my second point is you, you need to stand your ground. You need to stand your ground. You don't give ground, you stand your ground. You don't do it ob ob obnoxiously. You don't do it violently in the sense that your motivations are going to be misinterpreted, uh, but we need to do it radically. And in order to stand your ground, you need to know what it is. What ground are you standing on? What are we contending for? Tomorrow I'm bringing to a conclusion the series on Jude. It was about contending for the faith. What does that mean? The faith is not just biblical doctrine in terms of theoretical theological statements. It's also practical lifestyle. And that lifestyle has to be demonstrated to be not just um, an alternative, but a better alternative, a kind of attractive counterculture. And so we need to know what we 
so significant? Let's take one thing. Why is it so significant that we should uphold biblical standards of, of family? Why is it important? Why is marriage important? It's way beyond just a good way of raising children. It actually reflects on the universal nature of things. It reflects on God's plan and how he uses marriage as a way of revealing his covenant relationship with his people. Now, uh, a few things that we're going to be doing and probably focusing on more than my first two points is the necessity, number three, of empathy and understanding. Big battle, number one, stand your ground, number two. Number three, empathy and understanding. Um, this is the way that we build bridges, the way we connect, the way that we listen to others. Uh, empathy and understanding, very, very important, because if you truly understand what people are going through, why they're thinking what they're thinking, what they're experiencing, you can connect in a way and they will realize that you are fundamentally empathic. You're not just this person that is going to be criticizing and attacking. And then also uh, learning the language of Babylon. That's my, my fourth point. We are in Babylon and um, we have to learn that language um, and understand what is our raison d'etre for being in this environment. First of all, it's faithfulness to God, which means we'll stand out, stand up, stand out, and we'll be different. We have to be different to make a difference. Um, but this is not just being different for the sake of it. It's positive difference. What we have works. Um, we have to demonstrate that. And also recognizing and accepting responsibility for our placement where God has put us and there being useful. Daniel and his friends were brought into service of the king of Babylon and they were in a very strategic place. And they, sh they showed through superior wisdom, speaking and acting with wisdom, that very often they had the solutions that not all of the philosophers, stargazers, divin diviners, and all the rest of them in Babylon, or all the other wisdoms of Babylon, was, were, they were inferior to, to wisdom of Daniel and his friends. And in that way, we, we might be the, in the humblest position next to somebody in a powerful position, but our input can really make a difference. So that is the background uh, to where we are today and setting the scene. Now I'm going to ask Ron if he will take us through uh, what the objectives are today and the flow of how we're going to do things. Thanks, uh, Colin, and good morning, everyone. Um, wonderful seeing the faces I'm looking at right now on my screen. You know, it's, it's, it's nice when I get together with Kensington Temple people, and then it's nice when I see a group like this as well, because I can just see so many years of tenure at Kensington Temple, and we really appreciate you joining us today. I have to let you know, when, when I organized this meeting, um, I believe I sent the letter out on February the 17th. I was mentioning to Colin's team, this is one of the meetings I've organized where the response has been absolutely tremendous. Thank you so much for this. I think we invited around 40 people and I think we've only had two people say they can't for other reasons, but everyone was yes, 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 yes. So there's an appetite for this. And when you look at the faces I'm looking at, we have the practical experience, the desire and the love for God to be able to do something here. 
Our, um, our key objective today is to make sure that we take the next step. Something that's very clear, something that's actionable, something uh, that we can identify as a clear next step. And we're gonna do this in a couple of ways today. Um, our meeting is broken down into three parts. The first hour, we'll have a plenary session where we're all together and we've identified four people who are gonna address this very, very briefly on contemporary issues. Okay, so each person is just speaking for about 10 or 11 minutes. They were speaking from their heart, from their experience. And I have to let you know, it could have been any of the 30 or 35 of us doing this. And maybe in future meetings, some of you will do this. So it was very easy for me to select four people. Um, but the areas we'll be covering today is you'll be hearing from, from the NHS. Uh, you'll be hearing a little bit on social media. You'll be hearing about special educational needs and a touch on racism. And I'll, I'll come back to that in a second. So part one of three is plenary session, we're together. Um, if you have questions for each of the speakers, just drop it in the chat. It's possible they may respond to you directly, but if they don't, we'll find a mechanism through the meeting where we'll either try and answer your question or a process by which we respond to the question in the future. Part two of the meeting, this is where we get into the gut of the working session where we have to make something happen. And this is critical. Now, let me draw you, if you haven't had a chance yet, to the March Revival Times, which is up on kt.org right now. And I would strongly recommend you take the time to digest March Revival Times. Now, Revival Times, the way we've been doing it during lockdown is condensed and quite good anyway. But for you in this webinar, it's twice as important because there are three back-to-back -back articles that you need to read and you need to know. The first one by Colin called Positive Engagement, the second one by Colin called Church Without Walls, and the third one uh, Michelle wrote, which is Tackling the Giants. But really, really good reading. On this uh, topic of positive engagement, you know, friends, there's a risk here, now that the Prime Minister has given us a roadmap, there's a risk here that we can draw back into church buildings. And when you read Colin's article on positive engagement, it's critical it's critical that in the marketplace, we take advantage of the opportunities that, given, that God's given us to engage positively. Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth is on. Um, Elizabeth ran a webinar last weekend on taking faith to the workplace. Thank you, Elizabeth. It was brilliant. And we learned, we, we learned several things there, but I have to share with you, I learned a couple of things in particular. One is the law allows us to do some things in the workplace. Okay, the law protects us. But secondly, this is not a case of street evangelism in the workplace. This is not a case of even handing out tracts. It's, mm -hmm. we have to work out what does the law actually allow us to do when it protects us. And so there is some wisdom. Um, and, and as I said, you'll get some very interesting thoughts in Colin's article on positive engagement. Strongly, strongly recommend you read it. Um, in some respects, today's meeting follows up from the January webinar that Colin mentioned. Um, in your invitation that I sent to you February the 17th, there is an attachment. And if you have access to it, you might want to open it up um, later on, especially when you get into the breakout sessions. Okay, because what we found is your feedback to us in the January meeting started converging on four or five points. And interestingly, they lined up really, really nicely with Colin's point on critical theory. And so I was looking at the notes on your feedback. So remember, you are practitioners, you're out there, you're living this, you're giving us feedback on here what the real life contemporary issues are. 
And what I, when we looked at the feedback, we, we got that you were saying there's a shift in the education system, primary school, secondary school, A-levels, university, each completely different, bringing its own challenges. Uh, there are changes in the business place, particularly around the areas of diversity and inclusion. We, we found that cancel culture was not just something we talk about with critical theory, it's here where people want you to agree with them and they're not really interested in hearing your point of view on things. There are rapid, rapid shifts in communication through social media and you'll hear a little bit about that from Marco today. Next to your feedback to us is there's no question as a breakdown in the family unit and it's being redefined. And lastly, when I looked at your feedback, Clearly, identity politics is at work. Society fragmented into small groups and each group trying to battle with each other for rights and whatever else that comes out of it. So big, it's, it's quite a big task when you think of the tackling the giants and what we're trying to do. But the intention of today is to get to manageable chunks. And this is why I'm saying if we come out of today's meeting with one clear next step, we have done really, really well if that next step is actionable. Exciting piece of news. Uh, when we break out into teams today, the giant of education and the giant of family will be, that's a new group meeting for the first time. I know educated, education started many years ago, but we have fresh faces. And so when that group goes into the breakout room, you're gonna see some new faces in a team. So it's really exciting to have you on board and to see how God unfolds this plan. Okay, so part one, plenary session. Part two, a working group within your teams. Part three, very briefly coming back at the end, let's hear what you've talked about in the groups. Let's figure out what questions need to be answered and let's agree on what the next steps are. When you go into your breakout groups, can you assign somebody who can come back to us and share very briefly, no more than two minutes? Okay, we wanna manage this really, really well. So with five or six groups, that's 12 minutes. Um, so when you come back together, we'll do that really briefly and wrap up. But again, let's go into our, uh, our four speakers for today. Uh, we, we've given, given them the brief that they're gonna share with us for about 10 or 12 minutes. You'll be hearing from Vi Thomas from the NHS on mental health, COVID and its effect on the NHS workers. You'll be hearing from Marco Joansu, who is uh, um, on staff with us and a journalist. He's gonna talk about social media, cultural reformation and revolution. We're gonna be hearing from Joan Ogunbawali and Joan, sorry, Jane, thank you so much. Jane has been telling me how difficult it's been for teachers to get away from their planning right now. They're all going back to schools on Monday and just about every available minute of the day for them is consumed. But Jane, thank you so much for being with us. Jane's gonna to talk to us about, she looks at the kids ministry as well and she will cover challenges and special educational needs. And fourthly, a young man who feels like he's born and grown in Kensington Temple, Kobena, uh, he'll talk about racism and it's the complexity behind it. So very short discussions, enough to give us some thought for food and, 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 and to pray into and to keep the ball rolling on keeping some of these uh, concepts fresh with us. So without further ado, let's go over to Vi. Well, you're all set. We've seen you with the slides. Okay. Okay. Thank okay. you. I mute myself. Okay. So hello everyone. And um, I just want to first of all, begin by sharing my screen. I've just got a very short presentation that I'm going to talk to. I'm assuming everyone can hear me. 
Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so if you just, I hope this works. I don't, uh, I don't know. Right, okay. I hope this works. Brilliant. Can everyone see my screen? Yes. Brilliant. Okay, so let me just put it on play. Right, okay. So, okay, I've got to go back. So first of all, I want to thank um, Colin, Ron and Amanda for asking me just to speak for a few minutes and let me put my timer on. Those of you that know me know I can speak for England. So I've got my timer on for 10 minutes. I'll land this within 10 minutes. So the thing that really touched my heart that I wanted to bring to your attention and to share about was the mental health challenge post COVID-19 because it's very, very far reaching and it, ten, it will probably be one of our biggest health challenges going forward. We know that mental health um, illness was on the increase and I know that we have discussed it before within the giants, but what I think we underestimated when COVID-19 pandemic first started was the impact it would have on the mental health and well-being on patients, staff and the population as a whole. So the challenge that we have for the church, I'm going to just um, discuss them very briefly under these headings. So post-traumatic post stress disorder, the worsening crisis in, in child, children and young people, long-term COVID-19, workforce related issues, impact on the community and some learning that we can take from the NHS's response. So a lot of what I'm quoting is data that is out in the public domain and I've literally just quoted them near enough verbatim. I'm not gonna go through all the details of them but just pull out a few things. So King's College London surveyed nine ICUs and they wanted to get a sense as to how far reaching were some of the mental health challenges that was being experienced and reported. And of the 709 respondents, 45% of them had clinical significant signs of post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's a large number. And these are staff working in ICUs. A large number had severe anxiety, were beginning to report problems with drinking and severe depression. So we can see that just among our staff, there's a growing number with a lot of mental health challenges. We are projecting, particularly within the six to eight months going forward, that there will be a significant rise in this number. And already we have started looking at how we can support critical care staff who, as you will know, were very much at the front line when it came to looking after very, very sick patients. We see a crisis in children and young people. That's not new, but what is new <clears throat> is the impact that COVID has had on the young children and young people. And also this will have an impact on the staff providing th that care. And so we know that there was a, a poll done by the um, by YouGov, and it showed that a significant number of children were experiencing loneliness, anxiety, feeling sad, stressed. And what we're also seeing, and there's data out there, is a number of them are accessing, accessing support via the internet, and they're being pulled into all kinds of unwholesome activities. It was announced yesterday that the government had invested 79 million pounds into mental health services for children and young people and that is because we are projecting a significant number of, 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 of mental health 
um, disorders. And again, that will impact the staff and our, our communities. Long-term COVID-19. When COVID, the pandemic first started, I don't think we had anticipated that those who survived will then have long reaching health and mental health issues. And taken from the Royal College of General Practitioners 2020, they did a survey and they found that a significant number of those they surveyed were reporting a lot of emotional issues, psychological issues, sleep, dis sleep disorders, and the number is quite staggering. And so long-term COVID is not just having the physical impact, but the mental health impact as well, which is a worry to us. And so again, it's calling on the skills, the, um, the strength, the resilience of our staff and our, our communities to support those who are going through the recovery of COVID-19. Burnout is prevalent. And what concerns me the most about this is that we rely very much on the frontline staff to provide care, not just NHS, but also social care staff. But we are seeing there is a number, a growing number of burnout. And I'm gonna touch on a few of the reasons for that in, in a few minutes. But if we lose our frontline staff, we really are in a, a very concerning situation because what we are seeing is that a number of staff are already at the stage where they're due to retire. And we're having to look at the other end of that funnel, bringing in a, a, an increasing number of um, nurses, doctors, paramedics, allied health professionals and care workers in order to meet that demand that we can see looming. <clears throat> so the Doctors Association in UK undertook a poll. Now, this figure was again quite staggering. They found that in the next one to three years, 65% of those that responded said they'd believe in the NHS and just under 50% cited the impact of the pandemic on their mental health as a reason. We know this picture is seen in other areas, such as definitely I know it's seen within the nursing profession, and we are seeing it within some of the, the, the social care workers as well. So we are seeing an exodus, an exodus of key staff. And what I think will be really important for us as a church is to really support our staff not to jump ship ahead of time but look at how we can retain them so that they can still be salt and light and have the impact in these areas. Now the workforce challenges that I want to flag up and I know we may have heard a lot of it in the media but it can be missed in all the data and I just wanted to present to you some of the challenges that is causing a lot of the emotional and psychological maladies that, that we are coming across. Firstly, a significant number of staff were redeployed into areas that they were not familiar with. So nurses, doctors that were doing maybe care within palliative care or maybe um, rehabilitation were redeployed to work in very high intensity settings such as critical care and look after or support the care for intensive care patients. We know that final year students, student nurses and medical students were in some ways fast tracked into the clinical setting to support. So they may not have built up the experience, the resilience in order to, to, to deal with some of the things that they were presented with. 
there's significant increase in the workload. And while we're dealing with the pandemic, there is a, an ambition and in some ways it is a reality in the NHS that we're trying to keep routine services going. So it's the balance and the workload that presents for staff to keep, that, keep the system afloat. The other thing that I think for me as a nurse, been nursing for X amount of time, I won't tell you how, how long because it give away my age, but um, it's caring for colleagues who then become unwell and then nursing them to you know through you know to, to the point that they've passed on that is having the most awful impact on doctors nurses because staff that you've worked alongside with you're having to, to then attend their funerals and that's just so distressing for all involved the impact on the community is key i just want to touch on that briefly we've all seen the pictures in the media of um, elderly relatives in care homes having to look at their families through a plane through windows and wave at them and that's just so heartbreaking and causes a lot of trauma on the care workers who've got to allow this to happen because of the stipulations around infection prevention and control but also the impact on the community to for those who do not have the support for key life-changing events such as bereavements and weddings also we know that there's an increase in domestic violence and abuse because of the, um, the lockdown restrictions the thing that struck me recently though was the fact that fathers were not able to stay with their mothers and newborn babies they had to in some ways go back home whilst the mothers look after the newborn babies and miss out on some of that bonding opportunities or because of the restrictions and all of this has impact on the mental health and well-being and will impact our, our, our staff so initiatives in place as I come to a close the NHS is addressing a lot of this. We've got mental health and wellbeing toolkits in place that have been tweaked to become culturally sensitive and, and, and meet the needs of all members of the society. There are loads of webinars put on by the NHS and social care. Psychological support is provided to staff and online access to professionals are also provided. And when I look at this, it gives me some indication as to what we can begin to do as a church to support our, our staff and the communities. As I come into land with this, I'll say that other things that I thought were a bit more practical, I'll just end this talk very briefly by saying specific training around mental health first aiders, the church could do a lot around that and things about training our, our, our congregation on how to be part of the bereavement support and some of the conversations that we can have to support those with mental health um, challenges. So to conclude, the impact of COVID is not just about the physical, but the mental health. Care homes and staff are still recovering from the impact and the devastation of this. The aftermath is being seen in um, mental health and wellbeing across the whole spectrum of student nurses and doctors and all the way to those retiring. The role of the church is key in addressing this. And I think there's a lot we can learn by applying what the NHS is doing, but do it through the lens of our Christian faith. So thank you for listening. And I look forward to the discussions a bit later on. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, Vi, for raising that uh, profile a bit. Uh, it's, it's not just a virus receding, it's uh, some of the other issues that have fallen out as a result of what's happened in the last 11 months. 
and at the very least we'll we'll add it to the prelist. But let's make sure by that we don't lose some of those points when you go into the breakout group uh, with the health and medicine group. Okay, let me ask uh, Marco to join us now. Marco is going to talk very briefly about the social media culture reformation and revolution. Over to you, Marco. Okay, um, let me just share my screen. Uh, this one. Uh, just briefly, uh, as background, uh, I've been um, on Katie's staff now for 21 years, I think, from April. Uh, and um, and this, but I'm also doing um, social sciences um, a doctorate in Finland in one of the red universities. So it's very much a, a fee from not critical theory. So this is a bit of much a a, 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 a fee from behind enemy lines. So, so, and this is also based on conversation we had been calling, uh, I've been calling last week. So, um, apostolic movements and cultural transformation. We I, pretty much we believe that we are we are an apostolic movement. We are part of an apostolic movement as Elim, but also maybe with the cell vision and the missions that we are doing. Very much a church that has an impact around the world. So. Um, Apostolic movements have always transferred culture, and we transfer culture in the power of the Holy Spirit, but but by the bridges. And um, I don't know how many, how many of you know about Jesus people movement, but it transformed uh, society in diverse ways. So we charismatic church today has been profoundly shaped by by Jesus people movement, but so is that the left wing of the church. So if you go to places like Greenbelt Festival, you see the left wing. Um, of the social justice part of the church, which actually came out of the same movement in very many different ways. So as a very, this movement has shaped us more than we realized. And there were so many cultural bridges we don't have time to have a look at. Um, but um, those bridges were, are still operational in today's world, but they, are, they work in two ways, into the church and out of the church. And um, identities, who was Paul? He's an apostle, but actually, he was also a tent maker assisting the Roman army. So there were people who went to the graves and thought that Paul was a tent maker. And uh, the biggest client was, 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 was the Roman army for the tents. So guaranteed Paul would have um, uh, made tents for the Roman army. He was also a Roman citizen raised in the multi-ethnic and multi-religious city of Tarsus. He was also a disciple of Gamaliel, um, one of the great rabbis. And Paul utilized his multiple identities and cultural knowledge to build bridges. I think what we sometimes miss is that the way of building bridges in Jerusalem is different from Athens. And we, we, we know the stories. So who was Moses, an Egyptian prince, deeply steeped in the, in the Egyptian occult world. He would have known the ways of witchcraft because he was raised in the, in, 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 in the court, of, court, of, court, of, court of the Pharaoh. Who was Daniel? Again, somebody who, who knew everything about the Babylonian literature and wisdom, including the Babylonian occult arts. Because he, when he was, when they say in Daniel that he was reading Babylonian literature, what was Babylonian literature? Astrology, all that stuff. So they, yet in this environment of Babylon, these people were able to serve God. And that's a, a, a kind of a powerful thing to think about. But I wonder sometimes if Daniel was coming to our church, whether we would like him or Moses, you know, would we consider him to be a good Christian to start with? It's um, false dual identity. In front of the Jews, I'm a Jew. In front of the Roman governor, Festus, I'm a Roman, when, when it suited him. So this is not 
something that we think about, but Paul knew how to talk to the Romans. He knew how to talk to the Greeks. He knew how to talk to the Jews. Um, Paul's two ways, ways of argumentation. Jerusalem, when the scriptures have authority. God of our ancestors, the righteous one. Athens, when scriptures have no authority. God is the unknown God. And you can see it's like from argumentation theory point of view, uh, Paul used um, audience beliefs and commitments as premises in his argumentation. But in Athens, Paul uses the audience commitment the right of gods as a bridge to Athenian culture. Not, he didn't say there's only one God. He actually starts from the whole pantheon and says that um, um, in your pantheon, there is the unknown God. And let's start from there. And then and I want to talk about this briefly because this is kind of at the heart of the critical theory. theory. The deconstruction prism of critical theory perceives Christian heterosexual males as oppressors. I mean, that's pretty much what, I mean, I've been in, even last few weeks um, in Zoom, I've been in sessions where more the feminist uh, critical theory would talk about this. As, almost, as a fact, you know, it's almost like it's completely uncontested in the, in the, in, in the world of social sciences. And so take this story, Australia bans counseling of same-sex attracted people. So stand across the response, homosexual is sin because Bible says so. And this deconstruction prism will always label uh, this responses as a homosexual that's seen as oppression. So recently, a um, few, few months back, a friend of mine is a Pentecostal theologian from Finland. He was invited to go to the national TV to give the Pentecostal response to same-sex marriage. He called me and said, "How I'm knowing as I'm a journalist and, 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 and sort of my background, we discussed it. I said that, you know what, uh, it's a trap. They want you to go there to have a debate with the guy who's gay, who's gay guy, and um, and then uh, and then they and your denomination wants you to give a dogmatic response, and you will destroy your ministry basically. In this, this is a, you've been trapped from both. Why is it that nobody else from your church wants to go there to do this? So I said, why don't you flip the coin like Jesus did? Give Caesar to what belongs to Caesar, and give God what belongs to God, and that's what he did. And I think that was like um, 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 a very important moment. I think in his ministry because. Is it, I mean, you in that situation, you get shot from both sides. And some of your own denomination will tell you that you did badly. And the, the secular world is not quite happy because they didn't trap you. But anyway, I think he gave a very good response. Um, so this um, uh, fighting deconstruction prism leads to defeat in the public sphere. Social media is also public. You don't think about it when you do a Facebook post. It's public, it's media. It's called media for a reason. It's not private media, it's called social media for a reason. So when you send a tweet, it's also public, it's media. So solution that I think um, when it comes to public debate at least is that we can't defeat the deconstruction process, but we can capture the reconstruction process, which is the reconstructive message that we have is like actually uh, the right to choose is part of our sexual freedom and fundamental human right. And then sexual abstention is self-mastery. So it's like we cannot, unfortunately, because we have a situation where our society, scripture has very little authority. We cannot use scripture as in argumentation in one sense because nobody believes in it. And it's, it's not a valid argument to, 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 to refer to scripture. And here sometimes what other 
place we find is conservatism, which is tradition. Tradition also can kind of like can be used as an argument. So in this world of critical theory, it's worked its way through such a way that even the Tories and uh, any conservative party, they will nobody challenges uh, this conversation this conversation anymore when it comes to sexuality. But our problem is that our personal views are now public documents. And I could have many stories about how political barriers of Christians have basically died a premature death just because of a tweet. Some of them are my friends. Um, Christians fail to see social media as a mission field. But instead, they see it as a space of free expression. But that's not true. Like, if you want to make an impact, it's a mission field. You, if you don't have message discipline and careful curation of most vital, that's so important. You don't, you don't express yourself in social media. You either do branding or you do personal branding or you send a message. So even your social media feed is 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 it's got to be curated and it's got to be as your as your as your personal brand, which is also your social brand and your public brand. You've got to think about what you put in there. So the problem we face now is any discrepancy between public and private perceived as duplicity. So if you have one conversation in a church and then you have a politician, people will put those things together and they'll say, you spoke uh, uh, one way in the church and another way in the world, in the secular field. So you're not being good for this. And hence, sort of, a lot of the politicians, the politicians have been very careful, even regarding what they say in the church. So cultural preachers are two-way and spiritual authority and prayer are vital. If we open these bridges, the bridge also comes our direction, which we have seen with where the is going. So if you have spiritual authority, all of these things will be lost. Uh, all of these patterns will be lost without spiritual authority. So I'm not talking, this is social scientific perspective, but having said that, the truth is that without that spiritual authority that Paul had, those battles would, of the early church would have been lost. So uh, that's the final slide. Building um, preaches the dominant culture without compromising in the era of human sexuality. I've taken human sexuality uh, as an example because not it's not the only only battle, but because it is the dominant battleground. I think it's for the next few decades. I think we, if we don't figure this out, um, we will uh, church will be either oppressed or or become part of the liberal establishment. Well, the contradictions. Why, do, why does everybody like Dalai Lama? He, his view of sexuality is far more ascetic than our view. Yet the world respects Dalai Lama as a spiritual authority. So, so this, the world continues to see ascetism um, as, a spirit, as a positive spiritual force. And if, I, if you break into public down, you sort of like, you've got that issue of self-mastery, like we respect self-mastery. So we have to emphasize asceticism as a positive free choice. And I think one of the big challenges we have is that if we, if we need to keep on continuing, continue to have this message discipline of responding to the issue of human sexuality in its totality, rather than falling into the trap of, of focusing on same-sex attraction in isolation. So just sort of like, this is a battle of worldviews, and we keep on getting trapped into this one, area where they will always win. Whereas if we begin to look at the whole issue of human sexuality um, um, and, uh, and in the context of self-mastery, 
and we might have a battle that we might win. I'll, I'll stop here because I think I've taken my time, 11 minutes. Thank you. Thank you so much, Marco. And as you can probably tell, we have enough content here where we could talk about this topic for full days. And, and this is one of the challenges we have when I look at this room full of people. It's just we have so much practitioner experience on so many relevant contemporary issues that the predicament begins to be how do we how do we select the right priorities that we're going to share with you? But Marco, thank you so much for sharing that briefly, um, provoking our thoughts. Um, Marco will be operating out of the giant of media, so more of that stuff will be coming out. But just to let you know, some of these issues, we, you'll notice, they actually span two or three giants. So, for example, this whole area of social media, we'll have to work very, very closely with the law forum and what we can and can't do. And we have to learn this really well, because as Marco mentioned, a lot of people get canceled very quickly for saying the wrong thing. Thanks, Marco. Let, let's go on to Jane, who, who as I mentioned, uh, works in our kids' ministry, but is also a school teacher, in, and she's going to talk about the challenges in special educational needs. Jane, over to you. Morning, everyone, and um, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Um, today, I'm going to be focusing, actually, what I have to say has a link with what Vi and everyone has, has talked about today. Um, I'm going to start with this quote. I'm not going to share my screen, um, but I'm going to start with this quote. If you don't make things happen, then things will happen to you. And I, and I think as um, different professionals, that's how we need to um, focus and, and act on our, our different roles to know that we need to make the changes. Um, I am going to be focusing today on um, SEN. Um, I had the opportunity to work with some SEN learners and the SEN learners that, um, a fraction of the SEN learners, it has to do with um, mental health. So a student that comes from dysfunctional home um, that has had impact on their mental health. Um, students that are going through a lot. So as teachers and as ministers in the classroom, how do we now support these learners? Um, a couple of years back, I had the opportunity to have some of these students in, in my class. And I thought about how do I impact these learners without having to quote scriptures in the classroom? As you know, we all have to be wise in how we bring our faith into the classroom as teachers or into our workplace. Um, and so I decided to bring in emotional intelligence into the life of the student um, where it is based on biblical principles. And, and that was what we carried on on looking at how to change their mindset on how to change their thought, um, self-awareness, um, empathy, and, and things like that. And when we started delivering that, I'm a math teacher, and I, we had to come up with how do we bring that into our lessons? Um, when we started this, we realized it started making impact in the lives of these children. It was so evident um, that my ed teacher decided, oh, we are actually going to bring these students together and, and see what we can do. So the following year, which we hadn't done before, we brought up children from different age groups, year groups, and um, we had a different pod and a different unit called SEMH that, that is based on SEMH. Um, when we br brought them together, 
we started, I, I decided to introduce a project of that emotional intelligence. And some of the things we do there is looking at where you are now and where you were supposed to be. What mindset should you have now? Um, we, we I incorporated declaring positive um, affirmations to yourself, which is based on, on biblical values. And this also really worked and changed the group of learners that we brought together. So we, we went on on that. What I realized as teachers is a, a lot of mental health learners have come together. The issue is, are we equipped enough to manage these learners? And because of what has happened right now in COVID, we will have more of those students who will come back to school, who have been in homes where they're locked down and school is usually their safe place, their safe environment. And now they've been out of that safe environment into the family homes that they do not have choice. Yes, some of them had to go to school based on um, their needs, um, based on um, having parents that are essential workers, but a lot of them did not have any opportunity to go out. So what we did or what we are now planning to do is make sure that in our recovery cu curriculum and writing a new curriculum for emotional intelli intelligence where we make sure that all these principles are in there to be able to educate our learners. Teachers have become mothers. They've become mental health officers. They've become doctors in some, some instances. And as a church, I will say, if we can support our teachers to equip them with all this information that they need to know with how to support these learners that we come across every day in the school environment to make them a better student, to make them be able to manage themselves in the society, in the community, that will go a far way. I also want to talk about how do we now work together as professionals? So we have different professionals in, in, in our church. We have the one that based on that, that based us in mental health professionals, doctors, nurses. How do we come together in the church to support one another? to equip each other in our different roles, to be able to go back to our schools and deliver and support the children we're meant to support. Other things that also go on in education sector is things that we need to do as teachers. For example, recently we have um, a student who has now come out to be transgender. And as teachers, we have to be able to educate other students we have to be able to teach them. We have to be able to um, create how to accommodate them in, in the classroom. So the more we are more informed in these areas, we will be able to support other learners and not, in quote, force them to know what or have, have accesses into information that maybe they don't really have to have information to. I will also go, according to Paul, in the book of Philippians that says, my deep desire and hope is that I never fail in my duty, but that all in all times, 
especially now in times like this, I shall be full of courage so that I can bring honor to the Christ, to Christ. What that is what as believers, that is what we intend to do in the classroom, to be full of courage, take our faith into the classroom, be able to share our faith using wisdom and never fail in our duties. In all, student or children with emotional, um, with emotional problems are people we want to now support more in our society and in education. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jane. Loved it. If you don't make things happen, things will happen to you. And that's what Colin's been telling us all along. Appreciate that. Uh, Jane was mentioning to me that when kids go back to school next week, apparently the initial focus is all around mental health. They don't go straight back into classes because so many issues have emerged with the kids being in lockdown. But thank you for that, Jane. And you'll have more opportunity to speak about that when you break into the education forum. Okay, finally, um, the last of our short speakers today in this plenary session is Kobena, who is a staff member and has been part of Kensington Temple for a long, long time. And he's going to be touching on the area of racism. So Kobina, it's over to you. Uh, thank you, Ron. Um, apologies, I don't have a slide to share more, but I hope that um, I can give some, I, ho I hope what I share is quite clear. Um, I'll start with the fact that, yeah, I, the, the subject of racism is such a complex theme and I can't begin to say that what I say will define everything that needs to be done, cover every area of what happens in the world. And I'm, I'm cool with that. <laughs> I think it's important that we do, however, recognize that we have the answer in Christ Jesus. And he gives us the starting point to begin to deal with the complexities and also deal with it not in our own strength because what we do see in the world is that a lot of people are trying to deal with it in their own strength and that doesn't necessarily bring about the results that they want it does cause a lot of endless battle that doesn't really achieve the, the end goals that they're looking for but I'll, I'll share with you um some considerations that i was having some years back it was during when i was in university and it, it wasn't that i was studying the theme like in a very um like academic way per se it was more just something that was being awakened in my in my understanding um i was reading a book which was written by one of Martin Luther King's contemporaries called James Farmer, Dr. James Farmer. And he was talking about his own experience. He was one of the people who was joining buses in America, going to places like fountains where it's only for white people and drinking from them and they end up getting arrested and put in prison. And he was talking about one scenario where he was put in prison and he was in the prison and he's the son of a preacher. He's a believer in Jesus Christ. And he would go to the chapel 
to hear what the preachers were speaking out naturally in that scenario in the 60s the preachers were only white and it was a thing where the preacher was also racist which was very fascinating so he was listening to this preacher and the way that he was talking about the bible etc and then this man James Farmer he raised the questions to this preacher in that session and he was highlighting whether he would be welcomed into a church with this preacher. The preacher said no. <laughs> and he, he, this preacher was still firm in this idea. And the man, James Farmer, he raised the scripture where it talked about all humanity coming from one blood. Isn't that what the Bible says? The preacher didn't have a, any response. And it kind of, it, it kind of, you know, left it at that it didn't really help the issue but it was something that was very important to bring up in that society they were still preaching from the bible but still practicing racism which was fascinating but I think it was that particular verse that really struck me and then that awakened me to begin to go and explore more on what the bible says about race and identifying how that feeds into the value of the gospel and that took me to something which, you know, isn't really that, you know, extraordinary. It's not talked about so much in scripture, but it was around Genesis 10 to 12. And it's talking around the chapters 10 to 12. And it talks about after Noah, talking about the sons of Noah and the people going to these different places around the world and spreading out, etc. And I, I was going through this phase over the, the years that followed that. This was starting around 2015. And it's even something that I've still been thinking about up until recently. Like it, it was so it was it began to really fascinate me after to think that way. So the ideas of race that we hold in our world contradict the very truth that is spoken here because in our society we have so many different ideas that come from things like eugenics and other pseudoscientific um, concepts that have begun to well it's not really begun they've just they at one point they were held as standard now today they're you know put away but still there are rem remnants that have kind of fallen through the cracks into our cultural society where you know our idea of all humanity coming from one single root would be considered a fringe idea and I think this is something that we need to recognize is something that isn't really discussed too deeply but it needs to be raised and I think with the way that we preach the gospel it's powerful and I think the details relating to how the gospel is relevant to all humanity is something that we really need to really probe a lot more and really recognize how deeply it reaches. And I think that's what will um, provide a foundation for the conversation. Um, I haven't really been following my notes, but I, I think that kind of covers the general premise of what I want to present. Um, I think a lot of the issues that people have raised in the past year or so um, relating to Black Lives Mattering, the movement that formed out of that, 
the organization that formed out of that. It's something that is so powerful in our contemporary society. And we have to also recognize, like I was saying at the beginning, that you know there are so many different things that people are doing to try to engage the subject. But we have to also be cautious to not necessarily align with everything that comes out saying that we preach this, we preach that, we want this, we want that. Because when you get to the roots of it, you find that there's a lot of stuff that isn't really on solid ground. As the critical theory subject has raised, there are so many more things that are being tied into the theme and it's not engaging the subject of racism in a healthy way. Um, another thing that I've noticed as well is that the giant of racism isn't entirely its own thing in the sense that you'll find that it permeates so many different other giants. It can permeate the area of education. As I mentioned earlier, pseudoscientific ideas, eugenics, as much as certain ideas are no longer held as standard and they faded away, you'll still find, like I said, there are remnants that have crept in and there are ideas that may be held in the medical industry. There are things that are held in entertainment. There are held in housing and the way that our society has developed over time, as much as there have been, been progressions, there are areas that because roots have not been dealt with, they still continue to perpetuate certain ideas. And I think the simplest way to put it is, it's very much like when you have earphones and they get so badly entangled you don't just throw the earphones away. It may be very tedious to deal with, but you detangle it. And you commit to detangling it until it's detangled and it's comfortable to wear and use. And I think this is what we need to have as an attitude towards dealing with the subject. Um, a lot of the time we find it easier to just jump a lot of the details and get straight to yeah, Jesus loves us. And, you know, it comes back to the fact that, you know, all of us are created by God. And this is all true. But when we miss the steps, for me as a person who, in the way that I've learned over time, it wasn't because other people were telling me. It was just this kind of intuitive experience that I was then needing to find certain details and just try to piece things together in order for me to really frame things in a healthier, more balanced way. And I, I speak because that's how I learned. And that's what really drove me to really reconsider how I engage the subject. And I believe that we as believers have the answer. I said that from the start. And in really engaging it from that place of recognizing, as Pastor Collins said earlier, the bigger picture we will then be able to deal with things a bit more, well, actually not a bit more, a lot more um, healthily. Um, I'll go to the final five, I guess I came up with five points that I would say are very important for us to consider as thoughts moving forward. Um, being open to learning through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is this is primary as believers in Jesus Christ we know that we cannot be like Christ without the Holy Spirit 
and to recognize the truth as Christ recognizes truth, he's the foundation of truth, we have to be engaged in that fountain of truth. Um, also not to play colorblind and to use language like I don't see color, uh, to, not, to, to also not pretend like we have all the answers and to be diligent to continue learning. Naturally with our walk with Christ, our ideas on things will change, we grow, we get more knowledge, and it changes the way we act, the way we speak, the way we view things. And that's the walk. And I think we should be committed to the learning process of it. The next stage is allowing God to weed out the corrupt remnants. I was speaking with um, someone the other day and I was mentioning that, you know, people a lot of the time, they don't really try to be racist in, some, in certain scenarios. There are people who don't try to do it but then they still end up doing it, which is very fascinating. And you find that there are things deeply entangled. I also noticed there may there have been certain ideas and prejudices that have existed in my mind over time that I needed to realize, wait, you know, this, this is linked to this and this is linked to that and allowing God to really refine my thinking. And as I've been saying through it, it's been important for God to recontextualize my understanding of race and deconstruct the myths of race. And the myths of race was a very fascinating phrase that I came across um, when I was going through this stage of trying to understand it a bit better and realizing all these eugenics and all this and that. Um, I even came across a book called The Myth of Race by a man called Robert Sussman, who isn't a believer in Jesus Christ, He's, 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 a, he's died now and he wrote this book talking about the scientific study of the relationships between different people and it's the reality that, you know, we're not that different. It's just that in his book, it then begins to go into things that deviate from the idea that we come from Adam. And that's naturally what happens. I found it fascinating that somebody who doesn't believe in Christ still managed to come to this recognition at some point in their life that there is something that's not right about the way that we deal with this particular theme. I think it's important for us to really pursue, trying to understand the, these details historically better so that we can try to move forward differently. Um, and also not to, just a, not to ignore the reality of the experiences that happen in our society, because for me to say that, you know, we all come from one place, it then raises questions about, you know, so how do I deal with this thing of being black, being white, this and that? There are so many actual, you know, real repercussions that come from it. Things like sickle cell, which is, you know, prominent in certain people groups. And, you know, th there are so many things that, you know, are raised. and I, like I said, I don't have all the answers, but it's something that I desire to pursue more understanding and that the people who are relevant to those areas, who are believers, it's important for them to also be engaged in understanding how this reality of humanity and human anthropology, you know, it, it really works. Um, continuing to preach the gospel, that is foundational because again, we recognize that there is a spiritual factor that is ever present in the perpetuation of this particular 
issue in our world. It's something from age old, it's not new. People may behave as if, you know, there are new examples of this particular phenomenon, but it's not new. There's nothing new under the sun. And therefore we continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we also teach our children to recognize the truth of humanity and the relationship with the gospel. Um, reaffirming communities that face these issues whilst also holding dear the truth of human diversity. Um, not being swift to dismiss people's stories. I found that it was very important for me to still listen to people who, you know, don't believe in Jesus Christ. People who say, you know, I, I am part of Black Lives Matter movement. They want to continue to perpetuate the whatever they stand for. I found that there was so much that I was realizing that I kind of glide over and like, wait, that's that shouldn't be normal. It's not that they have all the answers, but it was definitely something that enabled me to begin to consider how to relate to that subject. And it was it's something that, you know, like Marco was mentioning, you know, Paul was able to really engage people where they were and begin to learn to speak that language and engage them with that kind of thinking. So not being swift to dismiss people. And for me, I've, I've, I've learned quite a bit, continuing to listen and allow my thoughts to be synthesized and prayerfully allow God to reach in and define things. And the final point that I have is pursuing deep transformative work within the church and not just external decorative actions. You know, people call for positions here and positions there. You know, we want to see more black people here or Asian people. And it's not, we, we don't want to be superficial. That's not how the kingdom of God works. The kingdom of God is not a superficial kingdom. And I think this is very important for us to hold dear. We want on earth as in heaven. And we need to be a righteous influence at grassroots levels, as well as in positions of power, etc. And it, it's like I said, it reaches into so many different areas of society, all these different giants, you may you, you will very likely encounter the theme of racism in there at some point, and it's asking God for the wisdom to really navigate those things. Um, I will end it there. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much, Quops, uh, for sharing that with us. I, I know this is a topic that's very, very difficult to touch in 10 or 15 minutes, and I appreciate you just highlighting some key things. Um, I noticed Pastor Praise has dropped an interesting uh, note in the comments. You can have a look at that. Um, Colin, can I just check with you really quickly? Would you like to say anything about any of the four speakers before I go on to what happens next? Only by way of, of complimenting them and also a bit of an apology because we've asked you to do something virtually impossible, which is to <clears throat> cover an area in, a, in very few moments. But what I want you to know is that everything's being recorded today uh, and what, what you've said will lead out into a whole range of other things. And from each of our speakers, uh, just a couple of bullet points highlights, we've taken notes, a couple of bullet point highlights in terms of some next steps. And we want, we want to end up being very, very practical. But I thought the speakers did, did a great job, a whole range of issues. And the other thing is the interconnectedness. So we chose these topics in the plenary session in order 
because they were touching many other areas of giants. And, and so, for example, racism is, is, is a giant in itself in a way, but it touches everything else. So in the, in the little group discussion, it'd be great to have a few people who might have thought, well, I was just going to be in this group or that group, but actually to try and tackle this, it's a very, very significant issue. And we are taking our time because when we take action, we want to, we want to do it right and correctly. So um, more help from that, please. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colin. So as I mentioned to you at the outset, we, we have a couple objectives today. One is we did want to refresh ourselves on a couple of the contemporary issues, and hopefully we've done that with four speakers. And as I said, we just have so much talent in this room right now. It's incredible. So we'll hear from more of you in the future. But we did want to make sure in this meeting, just by the benefit of bringing a group like this together, is that we had an opportunity to do some work together. And so we're about to go into breakout sessions. What we would like you to do is to come out with a couple of things at least. Now, you may end up with more than that. So, for example, I know the lawyers have met a couple of times this year and you're well ahead of everyone else. So it's possible you will use the hour to, to, to further those discussions. But we, there's a part of our church's vision document and roadmap that calls very clearly for each giant to identify an area that's transformational that we will throw energies behind to see impact. And I would like you to have a discussion about what that's gonna be and try and identify clearly at least one next step so the discussions do not stop here. Okay, now in the process, you're gonna to get to know each other, particularly the newer groups. But if you can guide the conversations to what's that one area of transformation, that would be a really good start. And then what do we do as an easy next step? So Colin has been having some, having some discussions with our leaders because as you can guess, there's just so many giants with so many issues. And even on a day like today, there's so many things popping up that we'd like to do. And the reality is the church diary can only handle so much. So one of the ideas we're, we're, pretty, sure, make, we're pretty sure we're gonna make it happen is we're gonna identify maybe four Saturdays a year where we call it a giant day or a giant's day. And we may do several concurrent sessions and people can select where they go to. And we're thinking the next big day is gonna be May then there's one in September and one in November, okay? So think roughly along those lines that we may be able to do some things on those days. But I recognize some of what you're coming up with may not necessarily have anything to do with webinars. It may be influence, it may be going into organizations, it could be talking to people, it could be presenting to, to school children. You know, you're, you're gonna come up with a lot of ideas. What we would like this one hour meeting to be is one where we come out with something clear. As I indicated earlier on, when we come back together, I'd like each group to give us a brief two minute update on what's the one transformational area you've identified and what's the one thing you're gonna do as a next step. So as I said before, I really, really appreciate everyone's time. It's lovely to see everyone still in here with us. Um, let's, let's hear really quickly, as I said, if your group was anything like mine, you had a really good conversation about doing lots of stuff. And uh, what, just to manage that a little bit, we, if we can just limit it to a couple minutes per group, let's hear what kinds of things um, you see your focus areas to be or anything else that came up within the groups that the rest of us could benefit from. Um, hopefully we each recorded our session and Michelle's also recording this particular conversation. So we'll, I'm expecting a number of thoughts, but we'll be able to sift through it after the meeting. Um, so it can be in some shareable form. Let's start from a couple of the groups. 
that maybe were meeting with people they didn't know they were coming together for the first time. Let's start with the giant of family. Um, I'm happy to go. I'm happy to go there, Ron. Um, our group was very quiet. Nobody really wanted to talk at all um, in, in our group. Um, <laughs> we did come up with lots of different uh, suggestions. Um, so one was uh, bringing the family, bringing parents together, um, and their children together to let them know that they are a part of a community and that believe the gospel. Because part of uh, our identity is we are together. And sometimes these other groups, whether they be LGBT or Gothic or whatever their, their, their agenda, they're actually quite safe places right, for people to gather and to belong to. Um, and sometimes as Christians, we don't, we don't always feel that same way and our children don't feel that same way. Um, we also need time to talk. Um, people have a lot of things they need to say. We don't often get an opportunity to talk to each other about it. Um, we don't even know where we are spiritually um, connected as, as Christian parents or as Christian children. So making those spaces an encounter, as an example, that we can have some really good time um, to focus on these different things. Um, preparing parents' materials, um, so materials that parents can use um, for that they cover these different topics of sexuality or um, the different topics that we've been covering, um, evolution and these things, so that when they do want to engage with their children and have a talk, they've got something in, at hand that they can use um, in those conversations, because not all of us are prepared um, to have those conversations. And, you know, we don't want to just continually avoid them. We want to engage with our ch children and um, make those communication channels uh, really, really healthy. Um, encouraging parents to be on boards, um, their school boards. So encouraging parents to to really get engaged with their um, their schools. And again, giving parents the materials. What does it even mean to be on a board? Um, what letters should we be writing um, to our schools where they're doing things that we don't um, approve of? Um, can we just give people templates? I know other organisations have given templates that you can send to your MPs. Can we do something similar um, for our parents as well? So those are just a few suggestions um, that I was able to capture from, from our group. Thank you, uh, Hassani. Was there one particular area that you thought uh, you would want to focus on? I think a lot of it focused around time. Um, so um, Pastor Reddy came up with the, the reminder of encounter, which I know we've not been able to have for a long time because of lockdown, but having a kind of an event where parents can come together um, and be recognised that, look, we are, we know we are parents. We don't have to guess whether you're a parent or not. We don't have to guess who your child is and coming together as parents that we can all be ministered to administer to each other and maybe to go into some of the other areas um, I think that would be a, a fantastic um, a fantastic kickoff. Okay thank you. All right let, let's go to the giant of education. Yes um, we started talking about the mental health narrative being put on children and as a response to that parents need to prepare children for return to school and the advice was that they would listen to their children in order to give them confidence so that they are not seen as um, children who are anxious and fearful and in need of a remedy because the parents are already ministering to them. So that was where we started and we, from that it was to um, influence 
um, people in parents and children to be able to develop self-confidence, self-awareness, and not to be too easily influenced by an environment that is highly charged with anxiety. And a number of things that were said were to empower children and young people through an emotional curriculum. One person was already got um, some embryonic thoughts around um, writing a curriculum intelligence um, program. And for that to be integrated into the um, boys to men and so ladies trying to connect where our children are and how to empower them through also through the cell leaders in the children's ministries because they are already connected to the parents. So we've got parents and children and um, cell leaders both helping children to understand who they are, to become self-aware, to become more confident and to be able to um, stand their ground and their position when they're in school and not to be easily influenced by what's around them. And then it led to preparing children for university so that they can debate, they can hold their position um, and be able to understand both sides of the argument, Christian beliefs and beliefs that are out there in the world and to have apologetics more strongly in the, um, in the students who come to the Bible school so that they too can debate and take their understanding of life out there into their communities. So those were the discussions that we had. And the, the point was to empower children and young people through these um, platforms that already exist in the church. Thank you so much, Joan. Okay, let's let's hear from the law forum. Okay. So, um, good morning, everyone. So, we talked about um, carrying on with some of the um, uh, legal guidance that we we've been doing, um, um, updating people, for example, on changes in the law. Um, I think someone mentioned earlier, I don't remember whether it was the teachers, about how you know it would be helpful if they had. Uh, had more information on certain areas of the law. But yes, basically to carry on um, providing um, guidance to um, talks on, on different areas of law, like, you know, wills and probate and, and, and things like that. And then also, secondly, engaging with external organizations, for example, the Christian Lawyers Fellowship, who are a very huge, and um, I mean, I meet with them the last Friday of every month. We have breakfast together with judges and barristers and lawyers and solicitors and um but and, and they're involved they do a lot of things in the community and so finding a way to engage with them and do other things with them and other charities um and then thirdly to um, external focus in terms of um consultation exercises so we talked about um having a draft letter that we can prepare that the church can use as a template in writing to parliament so that we 
can help influence legislation with, by, by writing to them on our opinions and then also writing to them as a KTLF on behalf of KT, um, writing to parliament um, in terms of, of um, giving our um, opinion on certain, you know, legislations um, and, and, and things like that. And um, you, you had asked us other questions like, you know, how regularly should the steering group meet with thinking maybe quarterly? At KTLF, we currently meet on the first Saturday of every month to pray together and um, we'll carry on doing that. We pray for each other, for the church, for in terms of the legal profession and things like that. So we'll, we'll carry on doing that. So that's it from us. Thank you so much, Lola. And uh, thank you, lawyers. I, I know you have done amazing work this year already, so organized and planned out. And it, it's really helped us in terms of uh, having a look at the church diary and just seeing how things fitted, but appreciate that. If uh, I can hear, did uh, the giant of politics come together? I, I saw Peter around. Yeah, they, they assigned me, Claude S, to um, be the spokesperson. A real privilege to be with Peter Marco and Marcelo. Um, just, uh, I'll go bottom up really. We, we, we also talked about the fact that quarterly steering team meetings might be a great way to start. Um, and we were looking at the next steps after our, our deep discussions um, newspapers, um, spotlight on different organisations that we can work with. So using our blogs, our revival times to um, put in interviews that we have with key people in those organisations would help um, KT LCC congregation to have an understanding of this giant and therefore begin to show their interest. Um, one of the things I would love to do when it comes to the prayer is to have prayer lines from each giant and then assign intercessors to help cover those prayers so it's some a way forward as well with prayer cover um we talked about linking of course with um these organizations um and those listed were really important but also um adding citizen go and having global links, worldwide view links, not just with the UK organisations, but with other organisations worldwide and just seeing what's happening in the nations. We had some great discussion and the 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 the, the area of focus, which will sound quite large, but it, and it links so heavily in with education. We should be protecting our children, start from the children. And so um, how do we help to stop these worldviews being enforced upon them. So we're really looking at protecting children from the woke ideologies, from the LGBT, from the BLM movement, etc. Start with the children and their future is how we would begin to look at a transformational area. Thank you, thank you. If I can hear from the giant of medicine, please. Okay, so um, basically we st first started the conversation with looking at the, uh, as medicine as um, fundamentally idolatrous. Um, and I think elements of that have probably been crystallised most recently with around the conversations about um, vaccine being hope and, uh, and where we should put our trust and things. But actually, it's uh, medicine's obviously got a long history, one of the original vocations, clerical medical. Um, so it's it's something that's very inherent within it. And um, so that's where the conversation started. Um, it's a big, big issue. Um, then we talked a little bit more about sort of practical 
things about how we can move forward. So uh, one of this is really around the area of chaplaincy and prayer groups within hospitals, um, how to support, uh, highlight and um, encourage the creation of um, of prayer groups and also with regards to a webinar whether it might be something around um, the roles of chaplaincy within hospitals and how they've worked to support um, you know the, the the staff particularly around this kind of time of um, the pandemic um, the other big area um, Vi touched on is like the mental health issues um, again I think it's uh, we, we sort of thought well actually within the trusts we do get messages and about um, provisions for um what's it called now um mindfulness, mindfulness or... and, and meditation and actually is there scope is there a gap here where actually we could create something that's far more christian based which we could actually then present back to the nhs as some a provision for their their christian staff or those who are not really interested in accessing the more kind of um secular um, modalities so um, those that was sort of like the aims of our discussion we didn't really talk about where we where we go from here with regards to um, meetings going forward um, but I think those were like the the primary things is that anything else to add that was it very um, short <laughs> yeah no that, that 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 pretty much I suppose the only thing um, to add is that you know we felt that um, you know, if, if there were things we could do to make Christians in healthcare uh, more visible, particularly we thought senior ones, but across the board, um, and yeah, to really sort of encourage the um, the role of chaplaincies and, and prayer groups and things within within NHS organisations. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thank you, thank you so much. All right, let's go over to the business forum. Hi everyone. Um, so we had quite a lot of um, discussion, um, but in terms of ideas to take forward, one is we certainly felt like cross pollinization was was key. So that involves um, just within the giants themselves, just having a joined up strategy across all of the giant forum that can be taken forward. So we thought that was quite important, and and we also said that should also cover. Um, us joining up with other organizations as well um, that fitted into our particular giant um, and I think Lola made mention um, of that as well so um, collaboration and cross-pollinization was um, within you know was quite important um, in terms of we talked about a lot of different things but in terms of the transformation areas that we wanted to focus on we said um, personal integrity and business ethics was very important and it's very topical for the finance world and um, links very well into terms of who we are as Christians. Um, I don't think any giant um, will be able to go away from having inclusion and diversity as part of and what they focus on. So that would be something that we'd want to bring into um, um, our um, business and finance area as well. And the third item was on financial um, literacy or financial um, intelligence for financial empowerment um, and giving a focus on the youth and the children. And as we want to have 
Katie as a church without walls, we're not just thinking of the youth and the children within Katie. We now have the opportunity to expand that influence across youth, um, you know, um, in, in, in the outside world. Um, and I think the foundation of all of this, and I think this is really where we believe we should be started from, is, is on the prayer. Yes, we've got all of these generous thoughts, but coming together um, as all of the giants coming together, and then whether they break out or not, we can decide that, but at least just come together so we say we are one in terms of what we're aiming for, that should really be quite paramount and quite important. I know there's some dates that have been potentially um, um, planned um, for that. So those are the, we, as I said, we discussed a lot of things, but those are the highlights I wanted to bring back to the group. Okay, thank you, Deji. Um, philosophy and thought? Thank you, Ron. Yes, I um, was there with uh, Pastor Scott. And um, so we uh, talked about how uh, the giant of thought and philosophy can feed into all of the other the other giants. Um, in the various giant areas, we have different manifestations of thoughts that come from common common roots, whether that's around the status of the universe and the world around us, whether that's around the status of what is a human person and anthropology, as Quibben has already referenced. And there are various other common areas that are beyond um, being merely theological, but speak to really how people think and how society thinks. Um, and so when uh, people or organizations make statements, they're essentially making a claim and how you can use key questions to critically evaluate those claims. Um, you can speak into the areas of worldviews, et cetera. Um, <clears throat> so it would be a case of providing resources and linking with other organizations. Um, Pastor Colin has a keen interest in this area. So we're already linked with organizations uh, uh, from Regents to Ocker, uh, to Biola, to Tyndale House, to, um, uh, various other organizations and we've had um, speakers over to speak at KT so uh, yeah great thank you thanks so much John and Lola can I just hear you re really quickly on media media and arts okay. so in terms of media and arts um, we've got um, we've been discussing a few things in relation to reveal lounge and um, uh, we've got three well four things we're looking at this year one of which is the uh, reveal lounge uh, online. Um, the, the first one is going to be on Easter Monday. And, uh, and then also we're looking at working together with the church. As Pastor Collins said, we, it's not effective if we're on our own. We need we need to mobilize with the church where we can go out and into like, for example, um, Trafalgar Square or Chiron Cross and have a, a concert there. We need mobilization primary leaders, everybody, the church to get engaged, invite your generations, we'll go out there together, we'll speak to people. And then also um, um, through the creative arts and then, um, and then drive through the, the car park of a drive through restaurant. We can put up a, a, a stage there and or a screen and then use the opportunity to engage with people who are driving through. And, uh, and also in the mall, you know, have 
you know, a, a mini concert there and use that as an opportunity to engage with the shoppers. You know, we, we as a team will put up the event, but we need, the, we need the evangelists, we need the consolidators, we need the people that will engage in conversations with the people who are passing by. So th those are the things that we're looking at during this year in terms of media and arts. And then we've got a, a potential movie coming up, a Katie movie. So, but we will give you more information on that later. Thank you. And, and also under the auspices of media and arts, um, Marco talked earlier on about social media. So, and while that's a topic that'll cross pollinate across all the giants, um, it'll be driven out of the media and arts uh, giants. So more, more on that to come. Now, let me just go, before I give you my closing thoughts and what we do with all this, let me go over to Colin to hear his final thoughts. Um. You, you missed out racism. Um, do, do you have a moment for Kwabena to feedback on our discussion? Is, is there time? Absolutely. Um, well, <laughs> um, I, I think it was a great discussion. It was um, Pastor Colin and myself. Um, we were going over the points that were that I, I, I brought up and there was feedback on thoughts and explorations that um, Pastor Colin has been taking himself in terms of trying to understand the, the scope of the subject. And um, yeah, te teaching is a very significant um, factor that would help us to really deal with this subject. That's, that's an important primary um, step, um, dealing with recognizing the level of hurt <clears throat> that is there within different peoples, different people groups. And we, we did hone in on the black community and how there is, um, there is a lot of hurt in terms of certain people's experiences, kind of conversations that have arisen because of what happened last year and the reality of what people are going through and Essentially, it's something that we can't be um, naive about. We can't try to just use easy ways to get through it, you know, and just consider that because we are in KT, we have such a diverse community and we recognize that we do value each other. We, we, we can't allow that to be something that causes us to um, miss what um pastor praise had mentioned earlier you know there are certain things that may be underneath unconscious biases uh, unconscious racism that exists that has its roots in certain things we, we have to really be open to um god probing us and allowing ourselves to be refined in in dealing with it within our community first and of course building out going out towards the world um yeah um, I don't know if I missed something, Pastor Collins. No, that, that's, 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 that's great. The only thing I, I would add to that is that we, we do need to pull together a bit of a, a, a giant of racism working group so we can take this further. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, that's what we intend to do. But anyway, that's a, a good summary. Thank you, Kwebena. We had a great time together. Um, now, just to say, uh, wrapping everything up before uh, uh, final words from Ron, thank you very much for everybody's contribution today we, we are mindful of the fact that people's time is very very precious 
and every one of these uh, giant breakout groups could could produce eight to ten different more meetings a year and we are going to try and work very hard to be efficient to do as much as we can together in a format a bit similar to today but also to allow people to go and uh, express uh, and whatever they feel they want to do and need to do and we, we will minimize the amount of times when we try to uh, uh, contact the whole congregation because if we've got uh, 10 different giants, four meetings a week, that's 40 meetings a year, uh, you know, so what we have to try and do is minimize that and work wisely. And that means that mobilizing within your own um, uh, const constituency um, and targeting them and coming back to main stage KT when, when we really need to do things together. So for example, these ideas on evangelism on Easter Monday, that's something that will require good centralized mobilization. Um, so it's helping to, to stream, streamline that. And that one thing I, I would just say is that um, hopefully today we're going to pull together all the practical suggestions, tweak them a little bit, fine tune them so that we can start to have a look at an overall picture of what, what we need to do and what we've decided to do, because nobody wants us to spend a Saturday morning talking about things. What we want to do is spend, you know, time in, in um, actually putting into practice and taking practical steps. But I, I feel like I'm sure you all do, that there are certain key things that are coming back on the table again and again, coalescing into some practical strategies. And so we will keep on working on that. We're going to help us to stay focused on practical actions, which are going to issue, issue results. So that's basically summary from me. And thank you, every, everybody, for joining with us. Thank you. Thank you so much, Colin. And um, just a, a few closing thoughts. We hear you that uh, a lot of this work is going to be worked across the giants. So there will be times where we'll come together as across the groups. Um, we hear you that prayer is an important part of this. And so some of our future planning may include or it will include the giants coming together specifically over prayer. I mean, there's, there's some big spiritual things to break through here, and it's, it's, it's absolutely huge. And so, yes, that's part of our plan. But, but just to let you know, on a practical level, I would love if you didn't forget the people you met with today. And Colin, thank you so much for racism. I didn't quite realize you had formed a little group there. Great for you and Quabs. But um, don't, don't forget those groups. I mean, when I was putting these names together and I started to understand backgrounds a little bit, what an amazing thing we have at Kensington Temple. So don't begin, don't forget the start of this journey. We we will help you from the office with your next steps and to make sure things are happening. But the great starting point, as Colin mentioned, is all of the ideas that are generated. We're going to pull it together and make sure everyone has access. And then we talk about what's coming up next. The one thing I want you to remember though is something I mentioned earlier on. Keep in mind, just to be efficient here, we are arranging, we haven't got a specific date yet, but we are arranging a Giants Day sometime in May, sometime in September, sometime in November. So as you start thinking through strategy, turning into tactics, take advantage of that opportunity where we might be doing some things together. Now, the government roadmap does say more people will be coming back to the church in May and all that stuff. But the one thing I can tell you that's not going to change is the world has learned how to do these things online. Okay, the fact that I've got 37 people here who have hung in there with us for two and a half hours, bless you, bless you, really appreciate that. So um, we will get you the notes, but let's not lose this momentum. 
Okay, I will, we'll be in touch with you from our offices to make sure we understand the next steps. And we'll slowly start chipping away with this, uh, looking for God's guidance on where the strategic key hot points are. But on behalf of Colin, Amanda, the rest of the leaders in the church, thank you so, so much. Appreciated your willingness from the minute you got the invitation right through until the end of the meeting. And we will definitely be in touch. God bless you, the rest of Saturday. Looking forward to three amazing services tomorrow. Colin, Claudette, and Gordon Neal. Okay, looking forward to seeing you at one or more of them. For now, it's bye from us. Have a fantastic Saturday. God bless.